You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. What's an offering to God? What should we give God? Paul said it clearly in Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is of good and acceptable, perfect will of God. When we accept Christ into our life, we know that He sacrificed Himself in order to save us, but do we live with this same sense of urgency? In today's message, Pastor Dave wants you to know that just as Jesus sacrificed Himself for your sake, you need to sacrifice yourself for Him. Give your everything for His glory. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Nehemiah chapter 11 with today's edition of A Sure Hope. The people of Judah and Benjamin are listed first. Why? Because the nation Judah had Benjamin inside it. And remember, they were the southern nation. Remember that? Israel was called the northern nation when they split. Remember when they split with Rehoboam? We studied that in Kings. These two tribes made up the kingdom of Judah after the division in 1 Kings. We see that there was valiant men listed, mighty men listed. These also could be brave men and fighting men of the men who also men who were wealthy and had substance. And in verses 10 through 24, you see the priests and the temple workers. This was a step of faith, because if you remember, God had provided special cities for the priests and the Levites in Joshua 21. Remember, they were called cities of what? Refuge. Cities of refuge, that, that, that places where they could go, places where the, 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 the Levites and it would be. He chose the people to serve as God. I love this. Many of these people needed the temple for ministry. The priests officiated at the altar. The Levites assisted them. And there were maintenance men in verse 16. And there were ministers of praise and worship. They had their own worship team. They had their own choir. They had their own team, verses 17 and 22. And then... There were those who actually guarded the temple, some 300 of them. There were some 300 temple guards. Why? Why did they need temple guards? What was stored in the temple? Well, first of all, all the tithes and offerings were stored in the temple. Then you had all this gold all over the place. You had the Ark of the Covenant. You have all these other things. You had all this beautiful stuff stored in the temple that had to be guarded. There were temple guards everywhere. You want to see guards, go over to Rome and see the, the, the papal guards. We saw one standing there like, whoa, look, was that a clown? <laughs> the guy was all dressed up and he had a wild regalia on. But they had temple guards everywhere. They had temple guards. So, so the, 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 the temple needed to be guarded. Needed to be guarded because it could easily be sacked. Many people, many skills to maintain the ministry. Doesn't that sound familiar to anybody? Church? 
a church made up of many, 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 many people. We had a ministry appreciation dinner, and I invited everybody who was in ministry at that time. Everybody, would, and they came, and their spouses, and there was only two spouses that came that weren't in ministry. It's 67 people there. 67 people in a church like this serving? That's unheard of. That's unheard of. What a blessing that is. And since that time, folks, the number has grown. The number has grown. There's more people serving now than there was then. Because the Lord puts it upon people's heart to serve. You're here for a while, and all of a sudden you want to serve him. You want to get involved in ministry. You want to serve him in some way. I don't know which way. There's a group that comes every Saturday morning, and they clean the place. And it's turned into a ministry. They clean the entire church. They vacuum. They do toilets. They do kitchens. They do floors. And then they pray. And they talk. It's a great thing. There's people after Sunday service who are up here vacuuming the, the floor. There's people who come in the morning. I mean, It's incredible. People doing all sorts of things. You don't know what happens behind the scenes here. So many things happen, but it takes people. And people are serving. People value this place. And that's great because we know who this place belongs to. This is our church and we call it our church, right? But this is God's house. This place belongs to God. And I want to do everything I can to make this place glory to God. The Lord uses many people with different gifts and skills to get his work accomplished. Even witnessing, even going out there and telling people about Jesus Christ. Not everybody you talk to is going to go, I want the Lord and save right there. You might get those who do that, praise God. They may do that. But you know, you might plant a seed. And then someone comes along and speaks the same thing you spoke about, watering the seed, giving it cultivation, maybe even put a little plant food in there with some word. But then all of a sudden, bang, God gives the increase. You know, it's not going to happen, but it takes everybody. It takes us all to do that. You know, we, we, we get in trouble sometimes for not calling certain people when they're sick or being this and being that. But if you get a visit from somebody in the body, somebody who goes to this church, consider it part of the body of Christ that you're being visited by. It doesn't have to be one of the pastors. We try to get out, but we're, it, it's hard for us sometimes. But consider you're being visited by someone who is part of the family. And that's what it's all about. The Lord is looking for different people with skills to get involved in his work. He's looking for hearts that are towards him. Hearts that are ready and open and said, here I am. When is it moving day, Lord? I'm going to go. I'll serve the Lord wherever I want. I'm going to serve him with everything I got. I'm going to serve him. Well, you need to go to Camden, New Jersey. Well, now, wait a minute, Lord. Um, let's talk about this. He's not looking for people to do self-service. He's not looking for people who are trying to get personal gain out of ministry. He's not looking for people to get notoriety. He's not looking for people who want him to be noticed by everybody as, oh, he's doing a great job. The Lord wants people simply to serve him, simply to serve him. All the way down to verse 23, we see that the king of Persia helps support the ministry of the temple. The king of Persia, look at verse 23. For it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers a quota day by day. And it goes on to talk about that, the beautiful thing. 
And then in verses 25 through 36, Nehemiah names the villages where the Jews lived. Some were far outside of Jerusalem. These folks would still be under Nehemiah's authority and expected to be loyal to the king of Persia. Remember who placed Nehemiah in authority. First of all, God placed them there, but it was the king of Persia who put him there. The king of Persia, remember, king of Persia, God uses Gentiles. He used Darius to let people go. He used Cyrus, and here he is used in the king of Persia. He used Artaxerxes. So God uses different people. In fact, this loyalty was a stumbling block for some of the people to move back to Jerusalem. They really didn't want to move back to Jerusalem. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the children dwell in Kirjath Arba, the villages, Diamond, and it goes on, listing name after name after name after name, all the way down to 36, which brings us to chapter 12. And what do we find in chapter 12? More names. Okay, so, <laughs> more names. What can we glean from this? These people didn't want to move into Jerusalem because they were loyal to their community. Loyal to the community is good. But please remember that the Lord takes precedent. The Lord takes precedent. The work of the Lord is vastly larger than any one ministry and even any one church. The work of the Lord is global. The Lord is doing all he can to save people in this last times. He's using all he can. He's using all his energy to get people saved. The Spirit, I believe, is working overtime, trying to get people saved because the end is near. We're studying it in Revelation. The end is coming like a freight train, coming straight at us. He's trying to get people to look at the cross of Jesus Christ and see their sin. He's trying to get people to hear the word of God and be convicted into their heart and know that they're a sinner and know that there's a way back to God through Jesus Christ. And that's what's happening here. So we come to chapter 12, and in the first 26 verses, we see the names of the priests and the Levites who had returned to Jerusalem with Zerubbabel 90 years earlier. So here again is another genealogy or list of names that we've already read a couple times in one in Nehemiah and all the way back in Ezra. But once again, please remember, these names are important to God. If your name was on this list, you'd want me to read it. If your name was on this list, you would want me to read it. God read this list, and God knows this list. He knows whose list. And you know, every now and then, you've been put on a list. I've been on a lot of people's lists. Probably not the greatest thing. But to be on God's list is the greatest thing in the whole wide world. To be on his list is the greatest thing in the whole wide world. And I know that I'm on God's list. And that's all that's important to me. When we get to 27... They're going to have a wall dedication, 27 through 42. So let's read those verses. Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. Wow, that's a heck of a worship team. They're ready to go. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of those guys, from the house of Gilgal and from the fields of Geba and Azermath. For the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. So the worship team was out there and they were building their own cities. They're all hanging together, probably hanging out around the fire pit singing worship songs all the time. 
Probably getting together, practicing, and doing that kind of stuff. Then the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates, the walls. So I, this is Nehemiah talking, brought the leaders of Jerusalem up, Judah, up to the wall, appointed two large Thanksgiving choirs. I love that. He appoints two Thanksgiving choirs. Your job, Thanksgiving choir, is to do what? Give thanks, yeah. Why would they're called a Thanksgiving choir? This is not rocket science. They're called a Thanksgiving choir. Their job was to give thanks to the Lord. One went to the right of the wall toward the refuse gate. I wouldn't want to go to that gate. After that, some of them went to Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah, and then there's some more names there. And some of the priests with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, and all those. You see more names and names and names. 37. By the fountain gate in front of them, they went up the stairs to the city of David on the stairway of the wall beyond the house of David as far as the water gate eastward. The other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way. And I was behind them with half of the people on the wall going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of Hundred, as far as the sheep gate, they stopped by the gate of the prison. So the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God, likewise I and the half of the rulers with me, and there's some more names there. Also, that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with a great joy, and the people and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. They were celebrating like crazy. You talk about a worship service. They were having a great time. They were really, really having a good time. And guess where they were? Did somebody get where they were? They were on top of the wall. They were on top of the wall, which is great. What would this do? What would this do, them walking on top of the wall? Could anybody remember what they said about the wall? Remember they said, well, even if you build a wall, if a bird lands on it, it's going to fall down. Remember when they were yelling at them? Here they are all marching around the wall. They're all singing to march around the wall. What a witness. What a witness of God's grace. What a witness of God's mercy. They're all walking around the wall singing in dedication. What enthusiasm. They were shouting and they were singing. And the singing was heard far off. This must have been a beautiful choir. Thanksgiving choir. I'd love to hear it. It must have been beautiful sounds coming. Can you imagine all the cities around them hearing this? Wow. Just think of it. This follows suits. The people had been dedicated in chapters 8 and 10, and now it was time to dedicate the work that the people had accomplished. So they wanted to get them accomplished. And this would be the correct order. If the people were not dedicated, why would you dedicate the walls? The emphasis on joyful praise. Singing is mentioned eight times, thanksgiving six times, rejoicing seven times, and musical instrument three times. The order of the service is unique in itself. The leaders and the singers are divided into two groups, Nehemiah directing the second group. Ezra and Nehemiah organized this dedication so the people could themselves touch the completed walls. And they were bearing witness to what God has accomplished. This was great testimony to the Gentiles who watched from afar, to those who tried to stop the construction, those who were skeptical. And they marched around the walls, and I talked about them, even if a bird landed on the wall, things will fall down. But the main thing I see here is God being glorified. God getting the credit for all the work accomplished. You know, I love showing new people our building. 
I love bringing new people in and show them our building. I remember way back in 2014, I think it was, we were having a yard sale. And I met these two interesting people. One was named Bill, the other was named Phyllis. And they were wandering around our yard sale. And yeah, it was them. Anyhow, and I just loved showing them our building. I had no idea who they were because they didn't, they were just there. And I just loved taking them through the sanctuary and showing them all the stuff that was happening. And I just love showing off our building. I just love doing that. It's fun. Letting, letting people see what God has done here. Letting people see what God has done here because God get, takes the credit for everything that has happened here. On August 13, 2012, we came into this building. It was a Bingo hall, smelled like beer and cigarettes. And we came into this thing, and the rug was horrible, nasty, terrible. Oh, terrible smell. We walked in here, and the only thing that I could see was this whiteboard out there. And I went over this whiteboard, and I erased whatever was on there, washed it down, found the marker, and I wrote on there, Psalm 127.1. It's still there to this day. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that build it labor in vain. This is the Lord's house, and he was going to build it, and he has. Look what he's done. I love the fact that we've never ended our work here. We're always doing something here. I want to redo the prayer room. I want to redo the children's ministry. We want to do the parking lot. We want to do this. We want to do that. It's constantly on my mind. Why? Because this is God's house. This is where God is, and I love it, and I drive people crazy with these things. You should sit at our leadership meetings. The guys are going, oh, no, not again. Come on. I don't want to become stagnant. I don't, want to, I don't want to become complacent in the Lord. I don't want that ever to happen. If I ever get that way, I should leave. I should go. I don't want to ever be that way. I don't want this church ever to be that way. It's interesting that somebody once finished a building project in their church, and they said, quote, the people looked at the new building as a milestone. In reality, it was a millstone. What does that mean? It means they weren't giving glory to God. They were taking all the glory. Look what we did. Look what we did. Aren't we great? They did a good job here. They praised the Lord with gladness. These people, the walls, praised the Lord with gladness. Let's finish the chapter. And at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of storehouses for the offerings of first fruits and the tithes to gather into them the fields of the cities and the portions specified by the law for the priests and the Levites for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept in charge of their God and charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave portions for the singers and gatekeepers, a portion each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron, who were the priests. They sacrificed, ladies and gentlemen. They sacrificed. They gave of what they had. They, they sacrificed of themselves. They tried to do all they could. They sacrificed, and they continued to sacrifice. They did the sacrifices according to God's law. But God doesn't require a sacrifice, or else he would take it. God doesn't want a sacrifice. God already gave a sacrifice, his son Jesus Christ for us, became the perfect sacrifice. And in him, we've been made perfect, and we are forgiven of our sins. And the one thing God wants, I think, can be found, and I'm going to end here, can be found in one of our favorite scriptures. What is God looking for? What is God looking for? Maybe giving something valuable to someone else? 
maybe giving my time to someone else, maybe sacrificing my seat for someone to sit down. What's an offering to God? What should we give God? Paul said it clearly in Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is of good and acceptable, perfect will of God. God wants you more than the material things. Of all the things you could give to God, God wants you. God wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants you to give it to him freely. Let him have access to it by, your, by his Holy Spirit. God wants you. He wants you more than any sacrifice you could ever possibly think of. And through your sacrifice, there'll be obedience. You'll know the mercy and knowledge of God. You'll do justice and judgment. And there's a broken and contrite heart that God will not despise. And you have this feeling you will give that back. Give that back to you. God wants all of you. And why not? Why not? Did God spare anything from us? Did he spare anything from us? No. God gave us everything he had in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died on that cross, he said it was finished. He said, teletestai, it's finished. No more would you have to work for salvation by obeying rules, but you would come to him by faith. You would receive God's grace, and you would be born again. And knowing what Jesus gave to you, there should be a natural feeling of wanting to give everything you are back to him. Everything you are. Everything, no matter what it is, it belongs to him. For what do you have that God hasn't given you anyhow? Well, I got my paycheck. I earned it. No, God gave you the job. God gave you the job to have the paycheck. What do you mean? That's God's money. Everything God, everything we have belongs to him. So why don't I honor him with everything I am? That's what he wants. Don't hold anything back because he didn't hold anything back from you. He gave everything he had on that cross. Don't hold anything back from him. He wants it all. He's not being greedy, but this is just a natural thing that we want to do. Presenting our bodies as living sacrifice. Here it is, Lord. Use me, whatever you want. You want me to go there? It's moving day. All right, where do you want, Lord? What do you want? What do you want me to do? That's where revival is. A heart. And just open to him. I feel bad that the book of Nehemiah doesn't end there. I wish it did. Nehemiah gets into a little bit of trouble next chapter. But don't we all from time to time (laughs) get in a little bit of trouble? (laughs) So... Father, thank you for this time that we had in your word. Father God, I ask and I pray, Lord, that it touched hearts. I thank you for touching my heart. I thank you, Lord, for giving me clarity. I thank you, Lord, for giving me words to speak. I thank you, Lord, for just continuing to pour your love out upon us and show us so many different things through your word. And Lord, I get excited by the example that Nehemiah showed and by the the example the people that followed him showed because they were following you. So Lord, help us, Father God, to have hearts ready. Ready to hear you, ready to receive you, and to ready to move when you call, Father God. Thank you, Lord, for these saints, Lord. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for joining us today for A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave has been digging into the book of Nehemiah. This book chronicles the adventures of Nehemiah as he goes from being a cupbearer to a foreign king to leading people as they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. When he hears about the city lying in ruins, vulnerable to the world around it, Nehemiah was troubled and he prayed. When his moment came with the king offering him anything he wanted, Nehemiah knew first to run to the Lord in prayer. No matter who was on the throne in the world, Nehemiah knew that God remains on the throne of heaven and he maintains control over all of it. What's troubling your heart today? All you need to do is remember that God is God over all. Take your troubles to him today. Here at Assure Hope, we would love to bring you to the Lord in prayer as well. Give us a call at 609-884-5821 and share your prayer requests with us. Once again, that number is 609-884-5821. We look forward to your call. Assure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Are you in the area? We'd love to see you this Sunday. Head on over to AssureHopeRadio.com to find our location and service times. Once again, that website is AssureHopeRadio.com. Well, that's all we have for now. We're so glad you decided to spend time with us here today. We'll be back soon with more right here on Assure Hope.